So we just had a pretty big wedding here, apparently, last night, and uh, a lot of people and a lot of joy, and just celebrating marriage. Um, I'm in, I have the privilege of being in the class um, that we're taking here on kingdom marriage, and just talking about God's design for a man and a woman to be together and the power and the influence that that can have, good and bad. When a marriage is in Christ and a marriage is bound together in Christ, it is what God intended it to be. And that can be a light to the people around us, and it can be a light to our community, and it can bring people into the understanding of what God has for them. But when a marriage is broken, when a marriage and a couple isn't living in Christ, and they're doing things that aren't right, and they're divorcing, and they're arguing, and they're doing their own thing, that divides a community, and it tears down things. And the devil knows that. And the devil works hard at tearing down a community. And I'm just so thankful that in my own life, my own personal life, that I've got to see marriages that have been successful and that have been in Christ. Both my grandparents lived to, lived to almost to their 90s. I have one grand, grandma left. But they both lived to their 90s. They both were married over 60 years. Tara's family, both her grandparents were the same way. They're both married, and they're both married for over 60 years. And that is a great thing to look up to, and it's a great thing to have in your life. So it's a great thing when we celebrate marriage, when we celebrate two people that are coming together in the union of Christ to do things. And as I think about marriage, uh, I think about different people, and I think about as we travel through life. Hey, Lucas. I like that. You need to go back and go to Children's Church, okay? Yes. Okay, so... As we, I don't even remember where that was at now. Okay, so marriage. So as we look at marriage, and as we look at this, this union and this wonderful thing and this bond that we have that we place together, um, i got to gather my thoughts again now. We're going to be coming from Matthew chapter 5, so you guys can go to Matthew 5. And this week, as I, as I was preparing and trying to get ready for this message, there was lots of distractions. And like, like I said, in, in our marriage class, here we go, I'm back on track now. In our marriage class, we learn about how the devil wants to get in and he wants to divide us between me and my wife. And he does different things that come and disturb what's going on between us. And as I'm preparing for this message this week and doing different things, there kept, there, things kept coming up whenever I was... I was trying to get ready, and I was, I was down um, working on my message. Either my son would come in and run downstairs and say, let's do this. Or my wife would yell at me and say, you need to come and take care of this. Or different things would happen, or a dishwasher decided not to work this week. Or different things that would always come, and they would kind of distract us. And in the kingdom book and kingdom marriage, we have to decipher whether it's a devil attacking us and the devil trying to come between us, me and my wife, and it's just a stumbling block or if it's something that's more serious than that. 
in some ways. Today in Matthew 5, um, verses 43 to the end of the chapter there, my thing has it, love your enemies. How many of you guys have been to the Weekend to Remember counseling, or Weekend to Remember through focused on the family stuff? Okay, what's one of the things they tell you right away? Your wife and husband is not your enemy, right? Right away, right at the beginning, first thing, your husband and wife are not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. Okay. So whether or not you're in a marriage and you think your wife and your husband or is your, mar- and your enemy in some ways, it is not. But even if they are your enemy, you are to love them. Okay. So we're going to look here at Matthew starting off at 43. It says, You have heard that it was, it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you even or sorry, are not even the tax collectors doing this? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be careful not to practice. Okay, be, be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. The first thing that stood out to me here is one, love your enemies, obviously. Love your enemies. And I thought through my life, I'm thinking, okay, who are the enemies in my life? Who have I been enemies with? Who, who do I consider an en- enemy to me? And to be honest, we live in a pretty great place of the world. I don't have an enemy beating down on my door, wanting to take my food, wanting to take my children, wanting to shoot me, wanting to persecute me, wanting to do all kinds of evil against me in the, in the sense that my neighbor next door hates me so much I have to watch my family and make sure that we're not getting killed and overrated like in some places of the world. In some places of the world, this is a reality. People are enemies, true enemies, and they truly hate each other, and they will kill each other, and they will torture each other, and they will persecute each other. I think in my life, I don't have that. I'm not worried about the Canadians coming down and taking possession of my land and persecuting me or whatever it is. Some of us are worried that the government is going to do this. And maybe someday that's a possibility. But at this point, they're not our enemies. We think of different people as enemies. But I, I thought in my life, who are my enemies? And growing up in loving sports, I have some enemies on the sports in the sports thing I can think of that I would consider enemies. I remember back to my high school days, and those of us who went through sports and our high school anyways, you grow up playing the same people. I went to a little Christian school in Rapid City Christian, and we played all the little towns around Rapid City, which was a big city. But since we were a small school, we had to play the little towns, like the Bagleys, like for us, it was New Underwood or Edgemont or Midland or Kadoka or Wall or stuff like that. These are all schools that were rivalries with us. Okay, so there is Midland, Midland, South Dakota, which is basically in the middle of South Dakota. 
It's about two hours from us. They had two twin brothers there, the Potowski twins. Okay, They were one grade younger than I was. So in seventh and eighth grade, I didn't get to play them, but I saw them. They were big kids. As soon as we got to be in high school, they were our rivals. Okay, We started to play them in junior varsity basketball. And then in, by the time they were freshmen and sophomores, these two twins, they were about 6'3", um, really big farm kids, and really good at sports. And they were the rivalries of myself and my teammates. And I remember growing up playing these guys. We had to play them twice a year, and we'd play them in the district championships, and we'd play them all the time. And I have to tell you, I came to dislike these kids very much. And they were not my friends. They were people that I wanted to get underneath their skin when we played basketball. And they got underneath my nerves. And we went at it very hard. In fact, to this day, I still remember it so much because my senior year of high school, our, our, our basketball team was very good. We ended up losing four games all year. And three of them were to that team because we played them twice. We played them once at our home, once at their home, and we played them in the district championship. And we lost to them all three times. Their team went undefeated and went to the state championship and lost by two in the state championship in South Dakota in our division. We lost to them by four, by six, and by eight points. All different, all different scores, all really competitive games. And they were the team that kept my team from going to state. And we were ranked, and we were really good. But the Patowski twins were 6'6 at this time, and they were very good. And I had to guard one of them, and it was a very much a rivalry, an enemy that I felt that I didn't like. And we were a Christian school, and we were supposed to represent Christ when we played basketball, which we did sometimes, but not all the time. Okay, I also remember going at Oak Hills. I have another, there's another set of brothers that went to what was then called, uh, or it's now called World Harvest School. Then it was a different, different name. And I remember playing my freshman year. I came in and I was playing basketball and this other guy was a freshman and we had to guard each other. And we disliked each other from the start. I'm not, I'm a little bit of a talker, but I tend to talk and I tend to get more involved and get under, get into the game more in a bad sense of the word when the other person does the same thing. So that when I'm guarding this guy and he's guarding me and he's talking to me, I tend to talk back. If they don't talk to me, I don't start stuff. But if they start stuff, I'm not afraid to keep talking. And I remember getting into this guy and we chatted and we talked to each other and we'd play and we'd get on the ground and we'd throw elbows on each other. And it became very much a rivalry. And I very much disliked this guy. And he was at another Christian school, and I was at a Christian school, and we were both these, supposed to be these Christian basketball players. And when we got together and played basketball against each other, we were enemies. And we did not treat each other with very much respect. The cool thing about the, him is I believe now he's a pastor in Duluth. And I've met him before, and we, we talked fondly. The one time we talked, got together. It was a little awkward at first because we definitely didn't like each other. But we both know we're in Christ. And we both know we had this thing about this greater, this greater thing than just us and what basketball was. And we're both serving Christ, which is cool to think about now. The Patowski twins, I have no idea where they are. So hopefully they're, they've come to Christ and they're sharing in that love. But the first thing was says to love your enemies. And it says right here, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Well, where do you think that came from, hate your enemies? Is that an Old Testament thing? 
No, it's not. It's not an Old Testament teaching. The Old Testament teaches us to love our enemies. In fact, I have some verses here that talk about it. It comes from Leviticus 19.18. It says, Do not seek vengeance or bury grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbors as yourself. I am the Lord. And Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner resides among you. You must treat him as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. You see, it's an Old Testament teaching to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. The Pharisees turned it into hate your enemies. The Pharisees were telling us to hate those that weren't like us, that weren't Jewish, that weren't part of our customer. We are to hate them, to get rid of them, to push them out. We want nothing to do with them. See, that's where the teaching came from. And Jesus wanted to tell them, that's not, that's not how we live. That's not what my truth is. That's not what I have in the, in the Word of God. They are changing what I'm teaching. We are not to hate anybody. We are not to, to hate our enemies. But it says, I want to, you're to love them and pray for those who persecute you. Who persecutes you? Who are the people in your life that persecute you? Okay. Sometimes my wife sometimes feels like she's persecuting me. I need to pray for her and myself and my own heart. Sometimes our competitors... We need to pray for them because they feel like they persecute us. How many of us have jobs with bosses? We feel like our bosses persecute us. Okay, they're driving us. I think I heard it on the radio once, um, not this week, but sometime in the past. A guy was talking a little bit about this, and he's like, how many of you guys, your bosses drive you nuts? They're like, well, you need to pray for them. You need to go up to your boss. You need to be, boss, I just want to thank you. I want to tell you, I just want to, I'm praying for you because you are pers- you are persecuting me and you are you're pushing me to be a better person and you drive me nuts and everything you tell me just just irks me and I don't understand why you do it but I'm praying for you and I just want to love on you and just tell you thank you for that stuff. How many of you think that would go well with your boss? Probably not, right? And they said that's not the way to, to approach it. But we are to pray for pray for those that are we feel that are persecuting us. Like I said, we, have the, we don't have to worry about people necessarily oppressing us in the way that some people over the world do. We need to pray for those. Pray for those people that persecute us. Pray for those people that irk us the wrong way. I work, I do some stuff in the high school. I sit around in lunches and you know do some coaching. And when you sit in the bus and you listen to kids talk, or you sit in the lunchroom, a lot about what they talk about is persecution. Not in the sense that of physical or whatever, but it's, this person said this about me. This person is doing this. This person is driving me nuts. My teacher does not like me at all. They give me all this homework. They never listen to me. And my teachers just, it's all tends to be about this persecution on me. And the focus is on them. And God says to pray for them. And why, why pray for them? I feel like when you pray for somebody, it changes your perspective on the whole situation. It changes it off of them, whatever they're doing to you, and it pushes it back to God and that relationship between you, God, and that person. It changes my perspective when I start to pray for somebody. 
So when we do that, it changes us. It changes who we are when we pray for our enemies. And we go through that. So the other night, or last night actually, something stood out to me as, I, as I'm, I'm preparing my message and then I kind of watch sports at the same time. Um, there was the great baseball game on last night, game seven, between Milwaukee and the Dodgers. And then LeBron James had his home opener um, in L.A. And that was all the talk on the news. Well, as I'm watching this and preparing for messages to love our enemies, um, this whole fight breaks out. Uh, a fight in sports isn't usually that big of a deal. It is sometimes. But last night, Chris Paul and one of the Lakers guys, um, Rondo, Rajon Rondo, got into a fight. And Rajon Rondo punched Chris Paul. It was, it was a fight, legit fight that happened. And the thing that stood out to me is after the interview, um, some of the players were saying, or they said, you know, um, the, the accusation was that Rondo spit in Chris Paul's face, that he spit on him. And some of the players were like, hey, you got to defend yourself. You got to fight for what's right. You don't, you don't spit on somebody here or on the playground or in the streets. You just don't do it. And when that happens, you gotta, you got to fight. That's just what happens. You can't be disgraced that way. And as I was, I was hearing that coming through the thing, and I just watched a little sermon, a message on this stuff, the person said, in order for us to love our enemies and love other people, we have to put ourselves aside. We have to put ourselves on the shelf, and we have to put God in our place. Now, if God was in our place and somebody spit on me, what offense do I take? How does that offend me? It shouldn't. Because it's not about me. The only, thing, the only time that that gets offensive and the only way I get offended is if it's about me. If I'm the one who takes offense, because you can't do that. You can't disrespect me like that. With Christ, we put ourselves on the shelf. It's not about me. It's not about who I am and what, what perception I have and defending myself. I'm thinking of Christ in this moment. I'm putting, I'm putting Christ above this. And spitting on me doesn't mean anything to me. It's just an act. It's, just this, it's a disrespectful act, don't get me wrong. But I don't have to respond to it. Because in Christ, I can rise above that. Because it's Christ who, raises, who does it in me and raises me up. So love your enemies. Then the next, the next thing that stood out to me in this, this section, in this verse, was my neighbor. Love your neighbor. And so how many of you guys, when you hear love your neighbor, at least I do, I think of the Bible verse that comes to mind when the Pharisees asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? Because they wanted to catch Jesus in this. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells us. So I'm just going to read the parable of the Good Samaritan again because that tells us simply who my neighbor is. And it's always good to hear, hear things again. So I'm going to read it from Luke 10, 25 through 37. So you guys can go to Luke 10 if you'd like. Luke 10, 25 to 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem and Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go, be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him and when, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you, have, you, you may have. You see, the good Samaritan came alongside, and he, had no, he didn't know this man. He didn't know who this person was. In fact, some would say he was an enemy of this man. But he took pity on this man. And Jesus says, who is, Jesus says in this thing, who, who is the most, I've, I've lost where I was, who is the person who is the most neighborly? The Samaritan. You see, our neighbors is everybody. It's not just the person next door to you. It's not just the person that lives in your backyard. It's not just your family. God says everybody, all humanity, is your neighbor. And we are to love them. And it says right at the end of Matthew 20 and 47, or verse 48, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are to do this perfectly. Can any of us do that? Can any of us love everybody perfectly, our neighbors, our wives, our children? No. But in Christ, with Christ's love, with Christ working in you, with Christ being the foundation of who you are, with us humbling ourselves to who Christ is, we can strive towards this goal of perfection. We can strive towards this goal of living as Christ wants us to live and loving our enemies, and praying for those who persecute us, and being different than the world around us. When we take up that cross, when we rise up and we love those around us, we will represent Christ, and we will, we will be a reflection of who he wants us to be. And the one thing in this kingdom marriage class that I, I'm getting and that's, that's driving at me is when me and my wife... When me and my wife are in Christ, when we're taking time to be and build each other up to be who God wants us to be in our marriage, we can be a brighter light to those around us. We can be a great influence for Christ. And in ourselves, between me and her, we can have a fantastic marriage. Our marriage, I feel, is a good marriage. I feel like we, we, we do a lot of things right. But what I've learned is we can always do better. 
And we can always grow in our relationship with God and we can grow in our relationship together. And taking classes like this and reading books like this and going to weekend to remember, those are all great things to do for your marriage. I think of professional athletes. And I think of the, the, the athletes just here at Bagley that I've been in myself. Does there ever come a point where I can't get better at whatever I'm doing? Does a professional athlete ever say one morning, I have reached the pinnacle and I cannot get any better? So today I stop working out. No. And professional athletes are way better than high school athletes. And I have high school athletes that say, I'm really good at basketball. I got this, coach. I'm like, okay. I'm sure you do. Just like in marriage. Is there ever a point in my marriage where I'm going to say, I got this, our marriage is perfect, I do not need to go anymore and go any deeper and be any better at marriage? No. We keep working on it, and we keep putting ourselves in situations to get better at it. And there's things that I can learn from a weekend to remember. There's things I can learn from this book. There's things I can learn from other marriages. There's things I can learn from my grandparents that have been married for 60 years to grow in my relationship to my wife and to Christ. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this time that we have to gather to worship you. God, I thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And Lord, I just pray that as, as we go through our day and we think about our life and we think about those who, who persecute us, who we, make, who we may call enemies, Lord, who we, who we may, that may just drive us nuts, that we just have a hard time getting along with. I just pray that we open up our hearts and start praying for them. Start praying for the people in our lives that, that we may not get along with, that we may not see eye to eye, that drive us crazy, that we don't like being around, that we'd rather not be in the same room with that person. Lord, help us to start praying for those people. Help us to start praying for those who persecute us. And Lord, I just pray right now that we will just draw closer to you. Lord, just bring bring your power and your love into our lives so that we may show that to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. You stand.